It is Wednesday, July 26th, 2023, and welcome to episode 242 of Fault Lines and the third episode of our Summer of AI series, Breaking Barriers, Understanding the AI Revolution. I'm Morgan Vigna, NSI Senior Fellow, and today I'm speaking with Sue Gordon. Ms. Gordon is the former Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, where she advised the President on intelligence matters and provided operational leadership of the agencies and organizations composing the U.S. intelligence community. Ms. Gordon also served as Deputy Director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and served in the CIA for 29 years. Thank you so much for joining us on Fault Lines today. I am very much looking forward to this conversation and getting up to speed with you on this issue. Um, so today I'd like to sort of structure our conversation in two different but, but related buckets. Uh, firstly, how AI affects U.S. defense and security interests when it comes to both allies and partners as well as adversaries. And then second, an assessment of the United States' deployment of AI capabilities, where we fall short, and solutions for, for how to address. So let's start big picture and on a positive note, because I feel AI is a lot of doom and gloom and, and terror these days. How can AI enhance and benefit U.S. defense and security and that of our allies and partners? Well, Morgan, great to uh, be with you today. Great topic it feels like AI is is one of those topics that everyone says it, and we all think we know what we're talking about and talk, you know, speak knowledgeably about it. Um, a couple things about AI. Um, one is it isn't a monolith, right? There are just a, a whole bunch of technologies and models um, and processes involved in this big bundle called AI, and so it's everything from. Uh, a subsystem in a bunch of other processes that do things. It is something that can augment human activity. And then I think the future and some of the concern is around when AI can be used to create its own actions, right? So it's that whole spectrum of things. And where we are is kind of in our nascence of using AI as a subsystem, whether it's a task that speeds up known processes or something that counts things faster, puts things together. And those, those capabilities, maybe not widespread, are increasingly part of um, national security operations. Um, computer vision is a great example of being able to look at a lot of images and pull from those images uh, objects and be able to act on those much faster uh, than you can in other things. And those technologies are uh, pretty well uh, understood and in play. Uh, where all the excitement now is around the kind of human augmentation things and the big large language models and the chat GPT that can actually take where someone is now and move forward with the computation doing something new from a particular starting point. And that's where all the action is right now and all the excitement and all the work in Silicon Valley is to take these large models that can create something new from a particular point of departure, aggregating and using a bunch of data to help put it together faster and in some ways more creatively 
than humans are able to do it at speed. Um, and I think when we think about that, it is not in widespread use. It's really just on the forefront, but there's a lot of excitement about what it could do in terms of both positive, let me move faster, sense faster, be aware faster of certain situations, whether that is in war fighting or intelligence. But there's a lot of concern about that too, because we don't really understand those models as well as we might. And we worry if those models ask on data that is not assured data, that you can come up with false answers. So I think we'll come back to that. And that's where a lot of the action is right now. In terms of the acting autonomously, I think there's interest in that, but that's further out kind of the 2001 A Space Odyssey, open the pod bay doors, decide that you're going to create chaos, decide that you're going to create your own code to do something that hadn't been thought of. I think that's a bit out more out in the future. Not too far necessarily, but it's there. So part of a subsystem, those things ought to be in use. Things that are augmenting human activity, that's where the action is now. And those things that are acting autonomously, things in the future where there's a lot of concern, but we're a bit far away kind of globally from that. So that's kind of the bin of activities that I think are the ones that are interesting from national security perspective, because they'll make our actions better, faster, stronger, have more reach but really concerning because the chance that we won't understand them. And again, remember the difference between what the government does with new technologies and what the private sector does usually comes down to that responsibility. You want to be able to assure explainability. And so that's where the action is now is making sure that we understand them, their limitations, what they're good at, what they're not good at, and how they can be misused. Digging in a little bit deeper, Specifically, how does AI affect how the United States actually engages with other nations, specifically allies or, or even adversaries? Can you maybe give, give an example of how this would play out on both a positive side and on potentially a, a more cha- challenging or, or malign perspective? So on the positive side, here's what I'll say is that the United States is still a nation of laws what we do and how we do it and what we allow ourselves to do and what the government allows itself to do, whether independently or with allies and partners, is governed by rules of engagement. So you still have a human framework Mm -hmm. that is responsible for saying how we will allow our autonomous systems to engage. Um, I think there's a lot of interest right now and a lot of focus on working with our allies and partners on what the limitations and the rules and the explainability and the understandable understandability uh, and assurance of those systems. But, but think today that that is governed by the same rules of engagement, same willingness to go, how far we're willing to go without human intervention. So it's still that nation of laws and and agreements that govern what we do. And so in a way, the benefit is really exciting to think about because one of the challenges that we have is just speed and coverage and reach and understanding of what's going on. And AI has a chance to improve that. The limitation is that 
you can come up with wrong answers or you can create chaos or misinformation. Um, so I think the best uses are in sensor operations, uh, being able to understand massive amounts of data, um, mm. being able to govern uh, small, large fleets of small things to act together because they can talk faster at the machine level and make within reason autonomous decisions. And I think that's an exciting future. I think where we worry about that from an adversarial perspective is those same technologies deployed without the construct of a legal framework that could create some really kind of frightening effects in cyberspace and in information influence. In other words, you can create or you can imagine the creation of massive false narratives or massive cyber attacks that can just go out there and find new ways in at a rate and speed and reach that you can't now do it. So on our side, it's being able to put things together at the speed that the world turns to create advantage in a battle space or an information space. Our worry is that it, ungoverned by our adversaries, it could be launched against us in ways that we don't now have the protections, the ability to distinguish that which is true from that which is false or protect all our systems from just things that seem to be correct working into our systems, but in fact, they're not. So I'm less worried about the our use than I am about the countering our adversaries use because I know how we'll go about it. Mm-hmm. What I guess one of the things I do think, and, and we'll probably talk about this later, is that need to assure in a technology that is moving this quickly could turn out to be um, a, something that over-governs our understanding and potential use of this really exciting technology. So weirdly, in our interest of being sure, we actually are too slow to find out what the positive uses are for us. So it's an interesting tussle. So I'm actually going to go off script here, but the, the, the UN wonk in me can't help but ask, do you see a convention, an international convention on AI in the future? Um, I have my personal feelings about how effective these international uh, agreements are, but do you th- think uh, that's that's in the cards? Um, UN convention, man, that'd be really hard. Agreements <laughs> amongst allies and partners. I think this is. I think really this is one of the biggest changes for the U.S. Is historically the government has stayed out of standards bodies choosing to let the private sector be the one that drives those standards. And we've benefited from that because the U.S. has been the technology leader. And in doing that, we tend to have Mm -hmm. the advantage. I think this is one that there will have to be some governors on use. And so you'll see um, U.S. and allies and partners wanting to kind of huddle together for warmth and say, no, 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 these are the standards that we think have to govern our use. You might not get one that governs everyone because what is international law anyway, but (laughs) governs how we and our partners decide that we want to advance it. And I think there's some opportunities to do that. AUKUS is a really good opportunity um, Mm -hmm. where we're establishing new partnerships with new technologies to say, yeah, let's go ahead and take on 
this idea of security and assurance frameworks um, around AI with that group of people that we've already decided that we want to, to be part of the same team. I want to turn back to one of the points that you mentioned earlier about the the human element mm -hmm. um, and the role that uh, human oversight um, yeah. has to play in, in AI. Um, when I think of some of the, the best countries who have the most um, advancements in, in, in this space, I think is Israel in particular. Right. Um, and I think back to um, the May 2021 Israeli conflict with, with Gaza. And Israel itself had described this as the first artificial intelligence war. Um, they employed AI algorithms and machine learning paired with human intelligence analysts who flagged and reviewed potential targets. The IDF synthesized this data into pre-conflict um, pre target folders that were significantly more detailed, accurate, and timely than during the conflict in, in 2014. They were then able to match these targets with uh, PGMs, right, um, and, and neutralize them. This is a very unique use of, of AI in the field. We haven't necessarily seen this before, and I'm wondering if you think that this human element um, that 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 played an oversight role in this is essential, or do you think that in the future we're going to be getting farther away from this? Um, and is that a concern? I don't think AI is either going to save the world or cause its end. And I think the human creativity coupled with this really exciting technology is going to be the primary determinant of use, good and bad, right? So I, I think your Israeli example is a perfect one. I wish I'd given it when we were talking <laughs> earlier. Is exactly right. It is a task you know you have to do, but you now have the ability to have a fidelity of understanding more possibilities. You can look at more possibilities. Think of some of these AI models as the best research assistant you've ever had. You can put together more possibilities at a much greater speed, and then you can decide how you want to deploy them in combination with human actions. So it isn't human in the loop in the way you think of it, action, decision, action, decision, action, decision, but the kind of framework you put around an activity that involves some of these technologies, I think is a really good view of what you're going to see in near-term use. I think one of the mm -hmm. biggest challenges we have is it has its future potential of ungovernable, unexplainable, uncontrollable use makes me worried that we could want to not use it before we totally understand it. I think this is going to be a technology that is going to, we're going to have to learn how to use it as we put it into use, mm -hmm. right? So you already see it going on in the Valley. It's what we're afraid of that it's moving so quickly. But if the national security community that has been responsible for so many great safe advances over time, does not participate in understanding this and moving at the same rate the technology is with its kind of vision and governance, I think we could end up with a circumstance where the technology moves, the government doesn't do what the government is really good at and saying, oh, no, 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 we need to be able to count on it even though we do it. 
And we would try and layer that governance on after the fact. And I think that would be a problem. So if I think Mm -hmm. of one of the greatest challenges, mandates and imperatives for the national security community is to not be so afraid of what we don't fully understand that we don't even participate in kind of stretching um, the use cases. And I think what it will come down to, Morgan, is choosing those technologies where we understand the risk and we can bear the risk and then try and put that into use and put frameworks rather than viewing all of it as the same thing. And we're not going to do any of it until we can define it all. And so to me, this is going to be kind of an exploration of, yes, we understand that. We understand the data it's going to act on. We understand the framework. We're going to put it in like the Israeli case, and we can go ahead and move along. Yeah. Really interesting challenge. But, you know, but to me, the biggest one is if the good guys don't participate in understanding how this is going to develop and how it can be used, it'll be like trying to make a building green after it's already built. It's really hard. Yeah. So if anything, I'm, the, the recommendation I'm going to go back to Jamil with on this is that Sue Gordon says to fire all the research assistants and employ jet chat GPT. <laughs> so we could probably save some money there. <laughs> uh, absolutely not, but I'll tell you what is, is, you know, the, these large language models are doing some, they're so fast and they're figuring out best fit. And when they have lots of data, those best fits get better. But it, it isn't, it isn't creating new, right? It's finding best of the available data. And so you're, when I said it's like the best research assistant you've ever had, that's not actually true, but it can do average tasks super fast to put something in front of it allows you to make your next human decision against it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, I think I heard somewhere that chat GPT has the, I guess the research and writing ability of a really advanced junior high school into high school. So I'm going to go with that. It does (laughs) average, it does smooth average really well. Mm Mm-hmm. And for some tasks that demand speed and reach, that's really good. For others, that's nowhere close. Right. And so determining, when I say understanding which tasks can be matched with which risk is actually where the real game is going to be. So looking sort of more inward about the the United States' defense capabilities Mm -hmm. and particularly um, on AI military technology, where where is the U.S. falling short here, and um, where are we leading in AI technology? What obstacles might we have to overcome to to maintain our our leadership position um, in AI? So, I think a minute ago we were worried that we were really losing uh, to China and 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 some other. Uh, adversaries and competitors in AI, in part because they could be much more aggressive in the use of data and they were probably equally good at compute and they were really advancing with the AI uh, capabilities um, right along with us. 
what has happened with the generative AI and the large language models that really, really came out of the United States is like catapulted us back into the lead. And so I think not thinking just about the national security community, but where we are in the United States, we have this really incredible opportunity to now take this, see where we need to go and embrace what's the energy that's coming out of our commercial and research communities and saying, okay, now how do we want to use this? In, in other words, not just figuring out how we're going to hold it, but rather how we're going to use it and drive that forward. So in the abstract, the opportunity is almost resplendent in a way that it, we didn't think it was a year ago. That said, I think that we have the same challenges with our installed base that we have had for a long time. And that is imagining how you take what has been disproportionately physical manual processes and completely reimagine those with new technologies is still a heavy lift for us. Moreover, our budgeting process is really geared to maintain the current and to take risk with the future. And it's almost like with this technology, we're going to have to take within the department and with the national security community, find a way to take risk with the present in order to really invest in the future as we need it. So on the one hand, I think the U.S. is newly super well positioned to take advantage of this moment in ways that we have historically from stealth technologies to materials technologies to other things over to, to satellite technologies and all the things that we've done well with that. But only if we seize it and seizing it will be difficult because of the same challenges we have in turning over old models to a new world. And Sue, as we say on fault lines, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us on Fault Lines and for our Summer of AI series, Breaking Barriers, Understand the AI Revolution. Thanks to Brooke Agacon and Angela Mangione from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help in producing today's episode. Fault Lines is also now on YouTube, so you can see our smiling faces. And if you like what you heard, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share with all of your friends from where you get your podcasts. <laughs>